0: So this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Title of the sermon this morning is Words of Wisdom. Words of Wisdom. We've probably read different Words of Wisdom online, here or there. Probably a post on Facebook. We've had read things that say, I never lose, I either win or learn. Or Dave Ramsey, as he would always say, if you want something you've never had, you'll have to do something you've never done. I like C.S. Lewis's quote, laziness means more work in the long run. Success is on the same road as failure. Success is just a little further down the road. Surprised it was Jack Hiles that said that. Jim Rohn said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Here's Scripture itself. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 5. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Here's one by Stephen Covey. "Be Be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. And here's one. I don't even know who the author is. Many of life's problems come from two things. We act without thinking, or we keep thinking without acting. And in closing, before we get to the text this morning, Matthew 7, verse 20. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people. By their actions. We find that in Matthew chapter 7. See, this morning we're going to be looking at words of wisdom from the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. But before we get there, I just want to quickly read verses 13 through 16, where there's a quick transition that Luke gives us from Troas to Miletus, where we will be spending our time this morning. In Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 16, here's what it says. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us in Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytalion. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregillium. The next day, we came to Mylatus, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. What we see here is Paul, as happens to many of us, has to change his plans a little bit. He had to change his plans to make Pentecost instead of the original goal, which was Passover. There's about a uh, 50-day gap between the two events. Paul decides going on ship won't be the better option for him, so he decides to travel on foot, which seems to be quicker. He continues to my latest, where he calls for the Ephesian elders to come by. And this morning, we're going to be looking at three specific things in this text. Number one, the ministry of the gospel in verses 17 through 27. Number two, warning of apostasy, verses 28 through 31. And number three, living out practically verses 32 through 38. So number one, ministry of the gospel, verses 17 through 27. From my latest, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What we see here is Paul taking the time to recap his ministry to the Ephesian elders. He's taking the time to actually recap his ministry, the gospel ministry that Christ has called him to. He reminds them of the things that he's done in this ministry, that he strived to serve in humility. He starts off by declaring that he says, Look, I wasn't looking for the spotlight. I was looking to serve humbly, although Paul definitely got the spotlight quite frequently, inadvertently, right? Whenever he'd speak boldly the gospel message, he'd get the attention of those in that city, and they'd come right after him, because for some reason, the church decided to keep growing, and there was disciples being made, and people are following Christ, as we previously mentioned weeks ago, that idols were being made were no longer... You know, being sold. They no longer had business profit in those cities because Paul had preached there and the gospel had changed people's hearts. Paul wasn't looking for the spotlight, but he definitely got it quite a bit. There were also many tears when he faced the trials. Listen, church, there's a real hurt to those that minister for the gospel. There's a real hurt behind the scenes for those that minister. You see, Paul faced many plots against his life, It wasn't just that people disagreed with his message, people were out to kill him. People wanted his head. Most gospel ministers here in America don't come anywhere near the intense persecution that Paul does here. But the truth is, we all have our share of tears if we actually care for the people that we share the gospel with. Every faithful minister of the gospel has definitely cried behind the scenes in trying to reach others for Christ. Paul told them here that they needed to hear what it is that Christ wanted him to to give to them as a message, and that he was not going to hold anything back that was to their benefit. This would come whether it's in public teaching or private discipleship. Paul always shared with those that he ministered with directly exactly the same message, whether it was public or in private. The pastor or elder that's most consistent is the one that'll give you the the same advice from the pulpit as well as in private, if you were to ask them. Withholding what would benefit another is essentially hurting them in the long run. There are so many people that try to help someone out, but then they're too afraid to say anything. And what they don't realize is the fact that they were too afraid to say something ended up hurting that person long-term. That person ended up going into ruin, and we could have actually at least given them a warning. At least giving them a, a word of wisdom, if you will, to stop them from the, the misery that they're about to experience. This is one of the probably the most difficult things, um, even for me as a pastor, is when, I, when, I'm, when I'm seeing a tremendous potential for students, let's say in the school or even in the church, especially young boys, um, I get this sense that sometimes when you want to push them to do better, to be more excellent, that people kind of go, wait, wait, you got to go lighter on them. Why, why are you going so hard? And you really want to develop these, these young boys into men one day. Unfortunately, our culture has diminished the role of men in our society to where men and women are supposed to be equal in every sense, even including the, the differences that Scripture lays out clearly for us. The fact that God made them male and female, He made a distinction there. And unfortunately, we've tried to kind of convolute it all, mix it all together, and we've lost, lost what it is to be masculine, what it means to be feminine. And one of the things I, I find, probably as a, as a struggle for myself personally, is I have three boys I'm raising, right? So when, I, when I'm dealing with boys in the school, or I'm, I'm dealing with boys here in the church, to, that, to, to me, they're like my boys. I know it sounds strange to say it that way, but I go, listen, I want to develop my boys to be men, to be followers of Christ, to, to take responsibility seriously. And then when, you, when you, you try that approach in the school, and parents look at you, well, I don't do it that way, and I understand that sometimes it's probably a different approach to different parents. But what's really, what's really heartbreaking is when you want the best for somebody and others go, just leave them alone. Let them do what they're gonna do anyways, without any instruction. Imagine if with, us, uh, with me, if we, we, as we were growing up, our parents decided not to instruct us at all. They decided not to give us anything that would really benefit us. Like that, that Mack truck that's coming around the corner don't worry about it, buddy. Go ahead and play in the street if you want. Have at it. No danger there. And see, unfortunately, that's really what happens in many churches. Many pastors are afraid to mention certain things because they know it may come across hurtful, and it might be painful for some people to hear. But in reality, would it have been beneficial? Of course it would. And that's what Paul is saying here, is I I did not neglect to teach exactly what would be beneficial for you. And some of those things are hard things for you to hear. So many don't care this, this in our day and age to actually speak the truth in love. And unfortunately, a lot of Christianity kind of swings between the, between the two extremes. Some are very truth-telling with a harsh tone. And some are very loving to the point where they really don't have any truth, which then actually negates biblical love, if you will. So it's really, it's really a hard balance to find today in America. Paul knew that there were more, uh, more, more that he always had to preach to those that would hear. And he always preached the same thing, regardless of whether a person was a Jew or a Gentile. The doctrine of repentance was important for both. He treated people the same in regards to their need for repentance in Christ. It shouldn't matter who it is that we're around. The message of the gospel needs to be the same. You don't cater or change the gospel message simply based on the person you're dealing with. The gospel message stays the same. We should not mix it with anything else. You see, Paul knew also that there were more sufferings, as he mentions here, in prison awaiting him. I think history proved that to him, that no matter where he went, there was that awaiting him. Paul, though, is not about personal survival, unlike many of us. Unlike many of us today around the world, which is why I think everyone in this country is in a panic, right? It's survival. Let me live. Leave me alone. Keep me away from people that may infect me. I want to survive. Paul's approach is very different than that. Paul's approach is the gospel matters and that my life at the end of the day doesn't. He has a totally different perspective than many do. He's not about self-preservation. This life is not about him. It's ultimately for God and His glory. He's in a race, and he intends to finish the race with joy. I think it's a phrase that's, that's really missed when we read texts of Scripture like this, that he wants to finish the race with joy. Unfortunately, many Christians lose their joy in the race. They lose their joy in the race. They don't always finish with joy. It's heartbreaking to see people that have walked with Christ longer than I have being miserable in their Christian life. It's hard for me to take advice from believers that have been in the faith for many years and see that there is no joy in their walk with God right now. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see so many that have walked with Christ for so many years end up holding on to bitterness for so many years. Joy would not be the way that their life would be defined. But see, Paul's not about personal survival. He's there to finish the race with joy. There's something that he wants to fight for, and that's joy in his walk, in his race before God. You see, Paul is also not even looking to establish his legacy. He's looking to make sure that Christ is known to those around him. Which is why he says, My life I don't count dear to myself. It really isn't about, hey, what are people going to say about Paul when he's done? What are people going to say about Jesus when it's done? That's what Paul was after. You see, I just actually want to ask you to do something that you may not have actually considered. Ask yourself a simple question, even this morning Am I living my life out of self preservation? Am I, am I living my life trying to get something for myself at the end of the day, making sure that I survive financially, making sure that I survive physically, right? That's the big dilemma in the world today. Are we living out of a sense of self-preservation? Let me make sure my family's intact. I don't care about everybody else's family. I just care that my family is intact. Do we live out of that fear? The fear that we may lose certain things that we have right now that we hold precious. Do we have Paul's mentality? Are we looking to save our lives or lose it for the gospel? Are we looking to finish strong? Now listen, the truth is we all may slow down a bit in our intensity when it comes to our passion for God. But when it comes to the Gospel, we need to stop and think through what it is that matters at the end of the day. It's not how you start, believer, it's how you finish. So many people start so bold, so passionate. And if you were to look later on in their life, they've been waning, they've been really barely, barely holding on, if you will, to their relationship with Christ. The ultimate is Christ holds on to them. That's the only reason why they're still saved. Listen, I just want to encourage you to ask God to give you maybe that second win that you need to get back up and get going. To start realizing that, you know what, kids, it's not about just paying the bills for our family. It's about what God's called us to. You know, we're, we're sending our children to a Christian school not just because we thought it's a good idea. We're sending our children to a Christian school because God matters and the way His ways matter. It goes beyond whether or not it's our church-run school or not. You see, there's an understanding here by Paul that he may not see these people again. As he departs for Jerusalem, he may not see these brethren again, these elders of Ephesus. But Paul tells them something incredible. He says... I am innocent of the blood of all men. He's been faithful to deliver everything that God has asked of him. The idea here is more than likely not that he taught through every book of the Bible, as some people would want to assume, but that with every disciple he shared the particulars that God would want him to share with them regarding theology, the study of who God is and what he has done and what he is going to do. You see, the ministry of the gospel does not come without warnings of apostasy. Number two, warnings of apostasy, verses 28 through 31. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, Not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day, with tears. You see, Paul's recall of the gospel ministry and the difficulties that he faced did not come without a warning to these elders. Of the dangers of apostasy when he's gone you see there's a serious warning for the Ephesian elders to be on guard for themselves and for the flock that God has entrusted them with And what's amazing here is that he starts off by telling the elders that they need to be on guard for themselves I think this is one of the biggest mistakes people make in the church all the time they're so worried about everyone else going astray that they're not paying attention to areas that they may be going astray Which is why Paul tells the elders, you need to guard. You know who you need to guard first? Yourself. You need to be alert. You need to be awake to what you see in your own heart. In the areas that you may be off, potentially in your theology. Elders need to be on guard for themselves. It is the essential first thing that they should be concerned with. Which is why the dynamic at home matters more than many people think. And how an elder leads in the home matters in the church. The elders should shepherd the church of God, knowing that these are paid for by the blood of Christ. Listen, church, it's a very serious responsibility to be a shepherd of the church of God. And when you don't care for them the way you ought, and just give them pointers to be just a little bit better. That's what a lot of churches are doing today. Just be a little bit better. Let's just improve on those relationships that you have. Just get a little better today. Just be a kinder person to those around you. And unfortunately, the question then becomes, how do we define better? Is it simply because I didn't yell at somebody today, but I yelled at them yesterday? Is that the, is that the standard we're going by? It's so unfortunate that so much of the encouragement in churches found today is not to live more holy, but just to do a little better. Just do a little better at your job. Just do a little better at your relationships. Just do better as a person yourself. Just do better. That's not at all what Paul's getting at here. The question that must be asked is who defines better? Is that defined by humans? Is that defined by ourselves? Or is that defined by the Word of God? You see, a pastor or an elder's role to help the sheep needs to be willingly, not out of coercion. It's not just part of the job description. Well, I guess somebody's got to do it. I need to go help people out. It needs to be something that elders are willing to do, no matter what. It should be a pastor's heart to help those that are hurting, those that are away from the flock, and a danger to others as well. Elders are to serve without expecting something in return, as Paul exemplifies that, but rather for the good that God has called them to do in the church. The agenda of a pastor should never be his, but rather God's, and what he would want for his church. An elder should be willing to sacrifice just as Christ sacrificed for the sheep. What's interesting here is that Paul warns specifically about wolves that are coming into that church to pull people away. He says they're wolves to pay attention to. They may be disguised as sheep. They're really there to destroy the flock. See, most that attend churches with false teaching are simply not aware because they're not on guard. No one's directing them to see the gravity of their situation. Which is why I think as we look at this text that Paul tells us here is that it's important to guard yourself and for elders to guard those that are in the flock. It's important that we understand that when we let our guard down is when we can be deceived. I think the scariest phrase in this text is verse 30, and we'll read it from the Amplified Version. I think it really spells this out very well. Acts 20, verse 30, says this, "'Even from among your own selves men will rise, arise, speaking perverse and distorted things, to draw away the disciples after themselves,' as their followers listen church you have to understand something about false teachers and i'm gonna park on this for a little bit and get into some details false teachers are not just people across the aisle false teachers are called wolves they're dangerous to the church and unfortunately a lot of pastors today in america like to play both sides The orthodox side and heresy side, and they like to be friends with both sides. What they don't do is encourage their people to dig in the Word of God and call out false teaching. So what they do is they try to maintain friendships with both camps. Ones that are in orthodoxy, which means that they're biblically sound, and those that are in heresy, which are away from the truth of God's Word. One of the scariest things, I think, and and I've said this multiple times. I know we've talked about this with my own kids. I'm absolutely terrified as I see kids grow up in good churches and they leave their homes. They go off to even a Christian college, for that matter, and lose their faith. And what I mean by lose their faith, they are no longer believing the word of God anymore. They are believing all sorts of progressive garbage that masquerades as Christianity today. And unfortunately, too many pastors aren't bold enough to call it out anymore. Too many pastors are okay with the different studies that people do in their church without realizing that those studies pull them away from true gospel doctrine. I don't know if you know this, I don't know how much you listen to Christian music, but the number one rated Christian album right now is by this guy named Bryson. And he doesn't believe the Trinity. And most people that download those albums have no idea. You see, these are the things that pastors should be telling their congregations, but they don't. People should be more aware, but they're not. Pastors should be telling their people to read the Word for themselves a lot more, but the people come to the church and go, whatever the pastor says, I'm just going to go with. And they don't read the rest of the week, and they don't have any doctrine that really directs their life. there are people who you think just love the Lord as you do they're just serving in the church as you do they could very well be one of the favorite people that you read their articles and they could be heretics they could be into false teaching that would be endangering to you Paul is telling these elders to pay attention to be alert he's been warning them for three years that this was coming by the way He mentions that. It's not that Paul mentioned it once and forgot it. He kept warning them about this. It's much harder to invade a church with leaders who are alert. You see, Paul has been warning about this coming for years. The most mature leaders see beyond the horizon the dangers that are coming in the not-too-distant future. Paul continually warned them with tears in his eyes. I don't think some of you all get this sometimes. Pastor Rizzo warned us of so many things that are happening today, years ago. He saw it coming. He was right on point. You could say he was prophetic, but all he was telling you is, this is what the Word of God is saying, and I'm telling you it's true. One of the hardest things, I think, and even in my role, is that you see people heading down paths that are dangerous, and you want to warn them over and over, and they don't want to learn, and they don't want to listen. They want to do it their way anyways. And they look at you as if you don't care because you've been telling them the same thing. All right, I've had enough. You already told me. I know. I know. I know I shouldn't do this. You're right. Do you realize that people's hearts break when people go astray? You realize that Paul cared so much that he was in tears telling them, You need to watch out. Church, we need to watch out. It matters that we preach the Word of God faithfully. It does. And I know sometimes you want that warm, fuzzy sermon. I get it. And sometimes there are uplifting, encouraging texts of Scripture. But the greater danger for us is to live in self deception. It breaks my heart every time when I see a parent or even parents with their children who follow God, they have no problem being inconsistent with their children. They want to tell their kids, do these things, go to Christian school, memorize scripture, and the parent has a completely different lifestyle. And they're trying to mix those two and trying to somehow raise their kids for the Lord, but at the same time don't care if they're inconsistent. There's such a lack of awareness in our churches today when it comes to our struggle against sin and how it affects those around us. You see, if if false teachers are what Paul warns about, how could we recognize them? Like, how could we practically make sure that we recognize them accurately? Are there any particulars to look for? Well, some of these have been previously discussed, if if you've not checked out our, our series in the book of Jude, I would strongly recommend that you go to that. But I'll try to recap some of that and give a few more practical pointers found throughout Scripture. Number one, what's a way that we can determine somebody may be a false teacher? Number one, they're always looking for debate, thinking they know more. First Timothy chapter six, verses three through five. First Timothy chapter six verses three through five. New Living Translation. So here's what it says Some people may contradict our teaching. But these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meanings of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. What's amazing here is that this warning is given to Timothy from the Apostle Paul, who is the Ephesian elder, the pastor, if you will, of that church. Paul warns them in Acts chapter 20 about people coming in to the church, wolves coming into the church to destroy the sheep. When he writes to Timothy, they're already there. Well, Paul had predicted it had already come to pass. Paul's now gone, and now people are gunning for Timothy. They're trying to push Timothy's stability and doctrine. What's another indicator that a person may be a false teacher? Number two, they exploit people for gain. 2 Peter 2, 1-3. through three. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. That's a huge indicator if a person's a false teacher, if they're exploiting people for gain. And it's very easy. Just turn on TBN. You'll be able to pick this one up pretty quick. You don't even have to look at the name. You'll see it by what they do. Number three, they want people to follow them rather than to follow God. Matthew twenty three fifteen says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Listen, church, the agenda of a local church is not to be the pastor. The agenda is to be Christ and him preached. Whenever a ministry is built around one person, and we're going to elevate them to the, to the status of Christ, if you will, then that is not good for that church. And many times that's exactly what happens with false teachers. Their whole ministry is built around themselves. It's dangerous. Number four, they tell people what they want to hear. That's a mark of a false teacher. 2 Timothy 4 2 through 4. We'll read this from the New Living Translation as well. Preach the Word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Now, church, this is a hard one to detect. The reason why it's hard, because it always comes across as genuine and caring, right? I'm telling you what you want to hear. You're amazing. You can do it. These are the kind of sermons a lot of people preach today. But it's only because it wants to make that person feel better rather than telling them that they need to align to the Word of God. It's hard preaching the Bible at times for those of us that preach faithfully because not every text is just full of thrilling encouragement. And unfortunately, most of America today wants only the encouraging passages. They don't want to hear that there's really a hell awaiting, which is why a lot of preaching today avoids that topic altogether. What do you mean, judgment? COVID! Judgment. Yeah. So disregard that. You need to be more afraid of the fact that you're dying here on this earth than anything else. Let's forget eternity that lasts forever. Listen, church, you need to be careful if you enjoy listening to every sermon that you download online. If you like listening to every sermon a pastor preaches, preaches, there should be some sermons that offend you at times. Because the Word is there to rebuke us at times, not just encourage Now, that's not to say that the pastor's goal should be to get up and just offend people when he preaches, all right? That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. But the Word will offend. And number five, a mark of a false teacher is they cause doctrinal division. In Jude, verses 17 through 19, again, from the New Living Translation, here's what it says. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. Oh, there are gifted men out there. They're way more gifted than I am. But they teach absolute heresy. They are so convincing. They are so encouraging. They are Tony Robbins, but in preacher form. But they're false teachers. There are many false teachers today who no longer believe in judgment. They don't believe in this place called hell. And that should be a dead giveaway to many Christians, but they never pay attention to that. It should be strange if you go to a church and you've never really heard wrath, sin, hell mentioned. Oh, those are buzzwords so that we don't use them. We're going to just say, you made a mistake. We're going to change that sin you're struggling with to an issue you have. We're going to change your separation between you and God to don't worry about it. Just be a good person, it'll work out in the end. You see, the truth is, many believe that their view in the Bible is correct because it's progressive, it adjusted well to the culture today. And traditional Orthodox Christianity needs to be discarded. We need to just throw that out, it's outdated. These false teachers are more about their new found insight than they are being faithful to the Word of God as revealed. If there's always new things we're seeing in the Word of God, it's many times our own interpretation, more than likely. Because most things have already been declared by the church for centuries. Now, listen, church, these are not all encompassing as a list, but they should be helpful for you personally to pay attention when you download a podcast online, when you listen to some sermon, when you read something on someone's Facebook wall from a pastor or preacher that they shared. Some red flags should go up when some of these doctrines are denied. Be careful when you talk to friends and their only response to you is, I just feel so encouraged every Sunday. hate to break it to you, church, but if that's all people feel every time they finish in a sermon, then they really haven't read the Word of God. Isaiah had a, 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 how can I say this, an assignment from God I wouldn't want, a ministry from God I wouldn't want. The man preached repentance, and nobody wanted to repent. It wasn't positive, encouraging, K-love. Sorry. So now Paul wraps up with the practical. Number three, living out practically. Verses 32 through 38. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. And for those who are with me, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So, Paul, what are your closing thoughts to the elders? What would your closing thoughts be here as you're about to say goodbye? Well, let's read that again one moment here. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The word matters, scripture matters. That's how Paul finishes as he's about to say goodbye. I commend you to the word of God. I commend you to God in the word of his grace. Get in the word. That never stops. This word is going to build you up and provide you an inheritance as it does for all saints. This word will instruct you of greater riches than you have on this earth, believer. You see, Paul tells them that it wasn't about the money for him. It wasn't about the money or the nice clothes. I was willing to work hard for what I had and to take care of those around me. Paul was not a slacker when it came to working and in ministry. This actually reminds me of what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28. Verse 28, listen to what he says, "'Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need.'" Don't be about taking from others without working hard yourself. You and I need to work hard with our hands so we can give to others that are in need. It's really not about you, believer. If you can work, you should, but also don't neglect helping those that can't or or have certain needs that need to be met. Any of us that have worked hard and been financially blessed should be ready to always help those that are in need. This does not mean that we're to help those that don't want to work. That's not what the text is saying. That's not the principle. Those in need are the ones that can't help their situation by working. Because that's what Paul is encouraging these Ephesian elders right as he leaves. He says, you know, it wasn't about the money for me. I worked hard. Whoever I could help around me, I did. Paul finishes by sharing the words of Christ in verse 35. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know what makes Christ the greatest blessing? It's because because he gave. Oh, we should be overjoyed that He gave us that. But He gave us so we can now give to others. What incredible truth that so many miss today. They wonder why they don't see blessing. Well, the greater blessing is in giving, not receiving, church. Everybody's thought of blessing is give me, give me. That's a blessing. But they don't... Realize that the blessing is actually greater in the giving. God so loved that he gave, right? We all know that verse. Listen, church, it'll bring us greater happiness and joy in being able to give rather than to receive. Simply because we want something. What I love is how it finishes. They all kneel down and they pray together. And they cry, assuming that they'll probably not see Paul again. It's a touching scene as they believe this will be the last time they get to see their brother Paul, the one that invested many years in their life, the one that taught them so much doctrine the one that cried over them when he warned them. You couldn't ask for a more sad experience for these elders as Paul was saying goodbye. But as always happens, the leaders that God sends in our lives, they have to move on. And the mantle gets passed on. And church, we have words of wisdom that God has given to us. And in conclusion, I want to ask, what words of wisdom have you neglected? What words of wisdom have you neglected? Has God sent you someone to share the gospel and you just simply rejected the warning? So you might be watching online and you're saying, well, it seems a little harsh for you to say that I need Christ and I don't have any help apart from him, but that's the truth. Are you assuming you're in the clear because you've been told by others that there's no such thing as hell waiting? Let me warn you if you're watching this online, that's false teaching. There is a heaven, there is a hell. Maybe you've been taught that everyone goes to heaven, and you've been believing that. It's false teaching. These are all false teaching meant to lead you from the truth. Maybe you've been in the church as a sheep in the flock of God by those who care for your spiritual well-being, and you've just not listened. Maybe you've stubbornly refused to acknowledge the danger that you actually may be in. Maybe your parents have cried on your behalf and it pains them to see you making the poor choices that you're making right now. Can I call you to repent? Repentance is not a one-time act. We repent as we turn to Christ, turning away from sin. We repent after we've turned to Christ because we still sin. Turn from that sinful practice and come to the light. I promise you, the light may expose, but it's going to be such a freeing experience to know the truth. If you've been listening to false teaching and you just haven't admitted it to yourself, oh, you download podcasts, you download sermons online because they're very positive. Make me feel good. Could it be that those are dangerous for you right now? And they've actually pulled you away from what you needed the most, which is God's word. There comes a time in your life when all of us will be older. We all start young and then we get older, right? Should Christ not come? That those that are older that have warned us will depart. And the question is are we ready? Are we ready to carry on? The time to get ready, church, is now. It's not to wait a couple years from now. The time to get ready is now. It was actually yesterday. But if we haven't started, we need to start today. The time to read the word for yourself is now. The time to be more faithful in praying is now. Now. The time to get discipled is now. The time to be faithful in fellowship is now. Don't put off, church, what may become critical one day, and you have no one around to help you. As Spurgeon once said, and I agree in closing, God gave me this great book to preach from. If he has put anything in it you think is not fit, go and complain to him, not me. I am simply his servant, and if his errand that I am to tell is objectionable, I cannot help it. Let me tell you the reason why many of our churches are declining is just because this doctrine has not been preached.